It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Frequencies open and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the show where we boldly go into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and mm, boy, I could go for some rogue keg blood pie right now. <laughs> when on Kronos, <laughs> enjoy the rogue keg blood pie. Come for the mm. gah, stay for the rogue keg blood pie. I am joined by a special guest today, Mikan Hana. Mikan Hana, say hello. Hi, I am Mikan Hana. Mikan Hana is the co-host of the Just Enough Trope podcast, also available on this network. And tell me more about yourself, Mika. Um, tell me about the real Mika. I've been calling myself a nerd before it was cool, so there you go. Is it cool? Is it cool I now? feel like people are trying to make it cool, are or there? trying to capitalize on it. Refocus, bring it back to the... Are there Star Trek nerds? Yes. Ooh, oh, okay, no, I already answered my question. I was going to say, are there like 20th century reenactors like there are Civil War reenactors now. Oh my now. gosh. And the answer is yes. Tom Paris is a great example. He loves his Ford F-150 and his Dr. Pepper. And everybody's <laughs> like, all right, nerd. Screw the nerd. Didn't, weren't you in prison? Oh my. For a felon. <laughs> You're a pretty big nerd for a former felon. <laughs> Apologies to former felons who are listening to the show. Welcome to this show. It's the first episode of this show. What is this show? Why are you even listening to this? What who are we? What is this show, Cal? The show is Enterprising Individuals. The idea is, is that we are going to go through specific episodes of Star Trek, any old Star Trek, the original series, Next Generation, Voyager, on down the line, you name it. Uh, no movies, unless we can be talked into it someday. It's going to be mostly episodic, <laughs> and that is going to include specifically the cartoon, the animated series, which was written and by the writers of the original series and sure. starred the voices of the actors from the original series. Mm -hmm. This is like if... Firefly, suddenly it's like, it's Firefly Babies, didn't it? Firefly Babies. And the whole cast came back because they're not doing anything. Right. And they made uh, Firefly, uh, cartoon, the cartoon. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's included as well. And what we want to do is share our personal stories about how we came to Star Trek, what makes it so special, what we like about these episodes, what makes them stand out and be special and stand apart from other sci-fi, and what just makes this whole thing what it is. Mm -hmm. When you say that you're a Trekkie or a Trekker, I think Trekkie's coming back. It was Trekker for a while. Trekker sounds like Trucker. I think I it like, does. I like Trekkie way better. It does. I think people didn't figure that out until they had the t-shirts printed and so they had to well, just And they were like, oh, oh no. There's a counter like in Lost <laughs> where, okay, we're almost out of t-shirts. All right, we can be Trekkies again. Yes. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about why it's so great. And if you love something else, Star Wars, for instance, or Babylon 5 or whatever, that's, that's fine. You know what? And once we run out of Star Trek episodes, maybe we'll talk about those. But I think we can all agree that Star Trek is pretty special, and we want to talk about why it's so special on this show. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having Permission me. Permission to come aboard granted. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about a very special episode. They all very special episodes. Where, in their yeah, own where way. Data meets a little boy with cancer. Oh uh, no! Dark, dark. Oh. 
Remember in like 80s sitcoms and even 70s sitcoms, there's always really like the very special episode where yeah. most of the time we're just screwing around, you know? Oh, so crazy. Jack, he'll never learn. Mr. Rober. And then like, oh, no. No, this is serious. Somebody's got the big C. Yeah. Like yeah. that, uh, what, A, My Name is Alex? Is that uh-huh. the episode uh, of Family Ties where Alex's friend gets cancer? Yes. And of course, I mean, the show is about michael j fox yeah more or less specifically because which show is this again because let me finish because he was so popular at the time you know bright lights big city um casualties of war like his movie career was taking off and so they the show became also and you know michael uh, j fox uh, alex b keaton yes also a middle initial weird Uh was a breakout character and so they started to focus he became the urkel of that show yeah and they had this episode that was you know called a my name is alex and it was all this sort of black box theater thing where he's like one man show type oh my thing. God. And from what I understand, he did not want to do it at all. And I don't know, you can argue that it's, I don't think it's any worse than, you know, a very special episode of Seventh Heaven, uh, you know, or uh, Eight is Enough, you know, the one uh-huh. where they got in a car crash or something like that. But Oh, boy. So this isn't a epi- special episode like that, but it's special because it's very different than what you would normally see in an episode. You wouldn't expect to tune in, viewers wouldn't expect to tune in to an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And see a red uniform, a red and black uniform, on a Klingon ship. Yep. And that's what we've got. We're talking about A Matter of Honor, the eighth episode of the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. The star date on this episode, and it's important that we keep track of that. Oh, yeah. That's how you tell time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we don't know what we're talking about. Is 42506.5. And what does that mean, Cal? Someday we're going to talk about star dates. Well, okay. you know why they have star dates, right? No. Because you because can't. Because they make no sense to me. Because a calendar only makes sense on Earth. Days are only 24 okay. hours long on Earth. Sure. And so humans, I'm assuming, even though we've moved out to colonies and stuff, we still are circadian rhythms. You know, we were right. born on a planet where the sun rises hours. and it sets. And then, yeah. of course, we've uh, imposed our will and our laws and ways on everyone else uh, in the galaxy. Deal with it. So everybody has to have a 24-hour clock. But the star uh, date keeps all the ships you know, going at the same clock, essentially. It's the, okay. same, it's the Greenwich Mean Time for space. Sure. And it's based on a decimal because that's more efficient, I guess. And also, here's the thing. It also compensates or allows you to compensate for time dilation based on space travel. Okay. The warp drive allows you to ignore relativistic effects. That is, the closer you get to the speed of light, the more time slows down from your frame of reference. Okay. So normally, when you're going warp speed, it's fine. And it doesn't make any sense at all. And Einstein is shaking his head and saying, this is a stupid show. (laughs) But they don't have to worry about that. But if you're using impulse engines or... For some reason, you're traveling near at some fraction of C, then your clock is going to be slower. So when you get out of whatever that situation is and back to the normal reference frame, you can go, oh, add a couple of decimal points to that number one. Like, that's (laughs) how you know what time it really is. Right. That's the only time we'll ever. Hey, this is the first episode. There's going to be a lot of firsts. Yes. That's the only time we'll ever have to explain star dates. All right. Um, Should we give like the real date? The real dates? Star, um, Star Wars. <laughs> Star, Star Wars doesn't care at all. No. Star Trek has never really cared about letting you know exactly when things are happening. Right. But people have extrapolated. And I think after a while, the people behind the show started to get in on the game, too. Uh, giving you, like, dates of, like, well, the... You know, the shipyards on Mars opened on this date. It was this star date, but it right. was like 22-something. So, technically, this takes place in 2365 by our reckoning. Okay. Yeah. So, that's where we are. Well, first of all, Beardy Riker uh, 
Deal with it. The collars on their uniforms are gone. They look even more like pajamas. <laughs> and uh, there's Pulaski, Dr. Pulaski. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. those are just a few things. Uh, yes, Dr. Pulaski, everyone's favorite doctor. Uh, and there's no more Tasha Yar. Uh, that happened the first season, yeah. though. Well, so. some, you know what? That's on the list. We will definitely be getting to that episode someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This show aired for the first time on the 6th of February in 1989. It was written by Burton Armis, and the story was by Wanda M. Height, Gregory Amos, and Burton Armis. And it was directed by Rob Bowman. You know that name. I do know that name. Rob Bowman was a um, writer and uh, director for the show. He also went on to great fame uh, as a writer and director and producer on The X-Files, nice. along with all those rock star producers that went off to do other stuff. And I believe he directed the first X-Files movie, I think. I'm not oh. really sure about that. Do you mean the only X-Files movie the bees, that's worth mentioning? Corn crops. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there you go. I'll give the audience a quick idea about what we're about here. We're going to talk about the episode, and we're going to give a synopsis of it, give our thoughts, and then a few sort of segments. Just as a Star Trek episode has acts, uh, sure. the, the, the lives of man have acts as well, oh, we'll have uh, certain segments and kind of games and certain perspectives that we will add to the episode. So first of all, what happens in A Matter of Honor? A Matter of Honor deals with an officer exchange program that's going on uh, within Starfleet. And they take on some officers uh, on uh, Enterprise. And Riker also goes on to a Klingon ship as a first officer. And he has to kind of fit in with the way that Klingons uh, run their ship. Yeah. And what is the point of this uh, process? It's to have a better understanding of... uh, (laughs) Wrong. There is no point. Oh, gosh, no! (laughs) Uh, No, no, go ahead. (laughs) It's a better understanding of, like, uh, different uh, leadership styles and also the different (laughs) cultures, really. I would agree with you, except for the fact that it's not like Riker... It's supposed to be a cultural exchange. Right. Uh, Yeah, and and that's its its own ends. It serves itself, I suppose. It's not like Riker ever brings his management style back to the Enterprise. It's not like in season four when Picard's like, uh, number one, I, I, you're wrong. I think we should do this. And it's like, bam! He just takes <laughs> cold cocks, Picard. Yeah, uh, no. That never happens. No. So, Mika, let's get into you. What's your backstory? How did you come to Star Trek? What's your history with ST? Uh, well, I was first introduced to Star Trek because my, my parents were watching uh, Star Trek Next Generation. And I just started watching it as a young kid. And as I got older, realized I enjoyed watching it. And it was like, you know, you, you become, you have, you realize you have choices and you realize you can like watch things or not watch things. I was like, no, no, I want to watch this. I want to see what's going on. No, don't put golf on. Yeah. Yeah. No, Star Trek. no, please don't put golf on. Um, Sorry, dad. Uh, But yeah, no, I, it came to me like that, and I, I just really enjoyed the characters, and I enjoyed the stories. I, I just, it was interesting, and you cared about the crew, uh, especially, I, I just love Captain Picard so much. Um, and I think also having LeVar Burton on there um, also probably played a large part, as I was a huge fan of Reading Rainbow. So <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, Look, it's LeVar. Do you think a lot of young, like, Rainbow fans um, followed LeVar to Star Trek? I and think then, there's some overlap, yeah. And then, like, DS9 started, and they're like, all right, let's see that. Where the hell is that? Where is he? What the guy with the banana clip on his face? Butterfly in the sky. 
Yeah, I don't. Where is that? Okay. Um, yeah, I think I had a similar background myself. But okay, why this episode specifically? I really enjoy this episode just because it shows. Um, I, I find the Klingons very interesting. I always enjoyed Worf as a character, and you know, having him be part of the crew and everything. But now we get to kind of. Uh, see other Klingons and see their culture a little bit more. And I especially love the exchange um, with Riker in, when he's eating food with them and they're exchanging pleasantries and like, oh, wow, you actually have a sense of humor. It's, you know, it's it's fun. Yeah. You don't think that Worf gets kind of cheated out of this episode? Should this episode have featured Worf? Because before he goes off to the Klingon ship, he does have a little tete-a-tete with Worf. Mm-hmm. Worf's basically like, uh, if somebody disagrees with you, they're going to try to kill you. He's yeah. like, uh, was that standard? Yeah, that happens all the time. Like yeah. that's the, And then it's, all right, good luck. And then he gives him a little, you know, a Viridian patch or emergency transponder, right. or, you know, a little deus ex ex machina. device. Device ex machina. I guess a machina is a machine. It's a device. So Sure. It's a Machina ex Deus. There, yes. Yes, it is. That'd be like if a god pooped a machine. Oh my gosh, no. Should we talk about the episode? Yes, let's talk about the episode. And when he gets there, things don't go according to plan, of or do they? not. Well, no, not exactly at first. He's got to kind of show his rank in the Klingon way, so he's got to kick somebody's butt on the first day, more or less. <laughs> it's just like prison. Yeah, Exactly. And then they're like, oh, oh, respect, much respect. <laughs> Actually, if you didn't show the space, the star fields and the outside things and you just cut it together and you told somebody this is like a sci-fi film set in an alien prison, mm-hmm. I'm not sure anybody could argue with that. They would totally believe you. Yeah, I think you're right. Because they're just walking around these like weird, cagey, poorly lit corridors. And with like pipes and steam. Kicking each other's asses. Yeah. The only thing missing is guards. If you just said, oh, no, they all have like intestinators or something like that. There's, you know, there, there's no need for guards. Right. Like you would totally believe it. Uh-huh. It seems kind kind of bleak to be a Klingon, at least from a human's perspective. It, it does seem very bleak. Do they like it? Do, do, do the Klingons like being Klingons? I think they love it. <laughs> yes. Now, is that Gene Roddenberry talking or is that you talking? That's me talking. Because the Klingons, despite their, and I'm using this in like a technical way, their mongoloid features uh, are supposed to be like Russians, right? Mm-hmm. But not like Chinese Russians. I don't think Gene was that forward-thinking. No. But they're supposed to be, you know, the evil empire, um, very well, I don't know if you call it lampooned or at least displayed, uh, exploited in Star Trek VI, sure. Discovered Country, where I guess Nixon, only Nixon go to China. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, would you say that, I think that Roddenberry would say that they don't like their lives. They're forced to wait in line for space jeans and space soap, and it's horrible. They all have this ideal that they're all committed to, but nobody can maintain that long before they want a cheeseburger and some capitalism right well maybe that oh shows how it's going to be so political you know what maybe that's roddenberry's enterprising political uh but i feel like by the time we get to next generation and i know it. i know roddenberry's still around in the beginning here but yeah, yeah, yeah. uh i i do think that they're trying to show that they do enjoy it because i mean why else there like, is the one character uh just to to your point who doesn't he's his father's been dishonored and the only way that he can get honor is if he dies in battle. Mm-hmm. But he's wounded and he just lives on the, the home world. So he'll right. never die in battle. And so this guy is just... It's like my. It's like he's in school and it's like, what's your dad do? My, my daddy's in prison. Like, My dad's dead. There's no way out of this. Yeah. Well, it's not even that he's dead. It's like you are going to live with shame now forever. Right. So he doesn't seem to like it. 
Well, he doesn't like that part of it, that's for sure. <laughs> but he, after after the meal's over, he goes out to the gym where he wrestles a targ or something. Yeah. And it's all forgotten. Yeah. All is forgiven. Yeah. All right. Um, there's a C or B or I don't know what letter of this alphabet it is plot going on where yes. there's a transferred officer that comes to the Enterprise. Yes. Uh, and I believe played by the same actor who played this um the benzite the benzite in oh, a previous right. episode yes yes um it was an actor who played uh, a character in a previous episode it's the episode where wesley tests yes to be in uh starfleet, starfleet. academy to get accepted and he screws up his test or, or or not maybe he does good he just doesn't do good enough mm-hmm. and he meets this weird guy who's a benzite they're like these bluish guys with the little things that they need to breathe yes things they look like fish cats like catfish people Uh uh-huh i said fish cat but they're literally a catfish yeah anyway and he kind of catfishes them see where i'm going here Uh because he shows up and uh, of course wesley's in the transporter room for no good reason except to see him right the show does that a lot Mm -hmm. and he's like hey hey it's it's uh it's mordok and he's like i'm not mordok i'm menzon yeah uh but we come from the same geostructure or something like that we're like clones or twins or something like Some, that. we're related yeah. somehow or something like that yeah. so that this is what bothers me actually played by the same actor yeah and, and but yet wesley comes off like a freaking a-hole and a racist because he <laughs> thinks that they're the same person <laughs> Look, and he's like oh no 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 yes uh he does um but to be totally fair uh mendon didn't take any events well, that's true. <laughs> Midnight wasn't like, yeah, I never get that. <laughs> it's real open-minded of you, Starfleet. <laughs> no, he's cool with that. And he's not actually, uh, the other guy is joining uh, Starfleet. This guy is from the Benzite fleet, apparently. Uh, okay. Uh, even though he's wearing a Starfleet uniform. That's really confusing. They didn't. The, the attention to detail, not always super Well, great. also, they didn't really prep him that well for um, being on a Starfleet ship. It's possible that he got the, the brochure but didn't read it, although that seems very unlike their race. It and also seems like very unlike I'll, I'll put in a note real fast, just a f- kind of funny thing, that John Putch, the, the actor that played um, both of those characters, got a call to play this character, the second character, and he thought, these guys love me. I'm going to be on the show forever. And then it turns out, no, no, the prosthesis and the, and the mask that you wear to play the alien, like, you know, it fits you. We know it fits you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this show is so, it was, has, so there will be many examples of this as our show goes on, uh, but had to cut corners in so many ways. That that's one way that they cut corners. They just cast the same guy and went, here's a clone. Here's a, here's a clone. That's so infuriating hey, as an actor. But you get a paycheck. So, yeah. so he is uh, serving on the Enterprise. <laughs> and as the Enterprise is meeting up with the Klingon ship, he notices some weird growth. It seems like a space fungus or something on the Klingon ship. Mm-hmm. And it gets on the Enterprise, too. And he's studying it. And he doesn't say anything. Like normally Which those guys, so you'd see the back of their heads. Yeah. Uh, and then at one point they turn around and go, Captain, Captain. we got a thing on the thing. He didn't do that. No. Nope. Until... Hours after. Mm-hmm. And Picard's like, um, why didn't you tell me about that? And he's like, oh, well, I, I, you know, I didn't want to report until I had something to report. I was thinking about it. Yeah, and I had to come up with a solution. <laughs> it's like, no! And then the, the, the little side point uh, uh, thing of that plot is like, Worf's like, uh, you're going to tell the captain things when you know about them? Uh-huh. And then he has to kind of prove himself to Worf. Yep. I also like how he kind of um, pulls the captain aside. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> the captain... It's funny how Captain Picard is like the biggest, snuggliest guy in the world for certain people. Uh-huh. But other times his persona is supposed to be, I'm a 
seek. I'm Horatio Hornblower. Don't get in my way. Yep. And then just recently we watched uh, like an episode where he's like had to pretend that he was the master of some players. And he's like, yes. oh, I'm an actor. It's like, wait a minute. So are you outgoing or not? Yeah, and I know. And the mission decides that he's outgoing. He's outgoing. Yes. But yeah, but uh, <laughs> Menden like, as he's like, hey, um, Captain, uh, I'd love to tell you some stuff about some stuff. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, we'll talk to you later. Yeah. And he's like, oh, but Captain, I, I need to tell you these things. <laughs> okay, all right, well, that's fine. You can just tell your person in charge. Yes. Which is Worf. And then yeah. Worf's mad that he talked to the captain. So. Well, I would have been mad too. He doesn't know how it works. No, he's very confused. Do you think that that works? Let's just get right into it. Do you think that works as a subplot that is sort of the foil or opposite story of what happens to Riker, which we'll get yeah, to in a little bit? Because I feel like I think it does because Riker um, has clearly done his homework, but that doesn't mean that he necessarily totally knows. He has to adapt on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. It, he doesn't exactly know what to do in every given situation. Well, let's talk about him adapting then. Yeah. So Riker gets there, and it turns out immediately that there is sort of unrest amongst the crew. Um, he has to, like you said, he does the the prison thing, you know, where he kicks somebody's ass the first day, mm-hmm. which is the, oh, the ship is called the Pah, I should say. Oh, yes. Um, officially. Gesundheit. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a character, the second officer on board named Clog. Uh, immediately takes a disliking to him, Clog, played by the guy that plays the alien bounty hunter on X-Files. Oh, right. mm-hmm. So you know who uh, Bowman's getting jobs for. Uh, yes. And, yeah, and Riker kicks his ass right away. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Riker is technically the first officer, gives him an order, and the guy's like, I don't think so. And Riker's like, does that, the sucker punch thing, you know, like, you're in the bar, the the piano player's playing, you know, and you're like, well, ma'am, I don't know if I'm going to, turns around, knocks him out, kicks his ass. And then Clock's like cool with him for the rest of the time. I know. I like this guy. Yeah, this guy's all right. And so Riker clashes with the captain. The captain is very suspicious and he is itching for a fight, Mm -hmm. as I think this warlike race that now lives in a time of peace would be. Sure. Still thinking they're kind of the Russians. And he says, he finds out about this goop on the hull and is like, the Enterprise put it there. So we're going to go kill them. Right. And you're going to help us. You are totally jumping to conclusions. And can I trust you to help us? Right. What does Riker say? Well, he's like, um, I will help you as it is my duty. I've sworn to help you, but I'm not going to help you kill them because I have also sworn to serve the Enterprise. So I can't. And then and then the captain's like, right answer. Yeah, right. (laughs) Which you would think would be not the right answer. Right. But Riker is smart enough to know if I just went, oh, yeah, I'll serve you. He wouldn't like that. No. If I say, no, I'm going to try to kill you guys, he's just going to kill me. Right. So he gives him like this ambivalent answer, which you'd think, that's not the right answer. But it is kind of the right answer. Because the guy's like, you uphold your oaths. Okay. But yes. there's going to come a time when one of your oaths is going to be more important than the other. Right. And Riker deals with that in a particular way. Let's talk about honor. The Starfleet Medal of Honor uh-huh. segment. I'm going I'm to clumsily oh, shoe the horn these in because <laughs> it's the first episode. Let's go for it. We're trying to establish them. Yeah, if you could pick a scene, a moment, or a character, or anything that stands out for you about this episode, what would it be? And you could talk about things that we have yet to talk about. Um, I would specifically say um, I, I really enjoy uh, the comedic scene while they're eating food. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he's like, wow, you guys really do have a sense of humor. And then they were like, you're all right. Like, they say that to Riker. Like, right. there's something really cool about the Klingons being accepting of, like, this kind of... I don't know, like smooth talking, like human guy who they, you know, I guess they think he's okay looking because the ladies are kind of hitting on him and, <laughs> you know. I agree. Yeah. 
Uh, I would agree about that. Um, Maurice Hurley, a writer and producer, a long time on the show, uh, had to, he he mentioned that as well. He talked about that in some interview, and he basically pointed out what you said, where they kind of go, "You're all right," but instead of having Riker be the guy who's like. You know what? This food's not so bad. You guys seem to like jokes. That I'm going to bang that one later. Uh, you guys are all right. Instead of doing that, they had him come into the situation and the people that we don't know be like, you're all right. Yeah. Because you you can, you can like us. Mm-hmm. You can walk like us, talk like us. Yes. Um, and he said that that was just, somehow that was made it more sort of poignant, like getting this point across. I agree. Because it wasn't just a white man going, you know, all right. Hmm. That's, he wasn't uh, other otherizing them. No, like uh, Orientalism, right? <laughs> like uh, Said, uh, he was, you know, saying like a white man going, "Oh yeah, okay, you're fine. Your weird little ways are fine." Right. It's still sort of culturally a perp- uh, cultural appropriation, I think, because they're like, "Hey, you can be just like us, so we're going to accept you." I, I suppose, but, it's st- but it makes immediately you think, "Okay, these Klingons are okay." We still have yet to see where the chips are going to fall when the. Um, Targ poop hits the fan. Right. But you know that this it's not going to be a thing like sometimes when we have the Klingon episodes where they go to Kronos and Picard's the ambassador. Like any one of these guys could come up behind him with a right. with a dagger. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the Klingon dagger's called. Or a batleth, if you will. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and kill him. You know mm-hmm. that everybody in the crew is okay. Yeah. They've accepted him. Yes. And it's a good story conclusion there. We got that. Now we can move on to the yeah. struggle between him and the captain. Well, and I think it's it's also just a really great um I mean, with any cultural exchange, like you have to have respect for for Riker that he has tried to do his homework. He's tried to learn some of their language and their culture and learn about their food and everything. Yeah. And they they see that and they in turn respect that as well. Yeah, it's something that people forget about Riker is that you know they focus on the ladies, they focus on right. the sitting on everything, uh, and they forget putting his foot up on everything. And they forget what a dedicated officer that he is. He's super dedicated. Yeah, because it's not like he doesn't. I don't think he really likes the food, and no. he is very happy to get off the pach as soon as he uh, the crisis is resolved. Absolutely. But the second that he gets the assignment from Picard when they're in the dumbest laser tag game on earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They only have so much money. It's a TV I, show. I know. Uh, he he t- dives into it. And like, yeah, like you said, he studies the customs. He knows what to expect. He eats the food. I think kind of in a show of like, oh, look, I'm eating worms, girls. I think he does it out in the open in the middle of 10 forward. Y- He's yeah. trying to impress people, but still. Yes, that's very Riker. And it reminds me, and we'll definitely get to this particular axe of mine to grind when we do a original series episode that I or perhaps one of our future guests will pick, is that... People forget that about Kirk, too. They remember the, the green lady kissing, mm-hmm. and they remember the drop kicks, and yep. sometimes he'd just jump in the air and like hit a guy with his butt, and the guy would fall down. <laughs> and they, they remember all that, and they forget that Kirk was a, just about the, the most by-the-book guy there was. Yeah. Picard has a lot of moments where he's like, we got to do it this way. And then he's like, steeples his hands yes. you know, at his desk, and he's like, maybe we have to do it a different way. Right. Which is so Adama. But then again, I mean, like, you know, our Adama. Yes. Nothing against Lauren Green. Right. But yeah, almost Adama. Yes. He's not almost Adama. He is Adama. Um, <laughs> but like Kirk all the time would be like, this, this is how it works. Here's the general order. We got to do it this way. Right. We can't do it that way. We're going to do it that way. And maybe that was like a big American men and big American spaceships <laughs> bringing capitalism to the universe. But that's what he was very by the book. Uh huh. He would also, you know, he would avail himself of recreation when it was time to recreate. Sure. But, yeah, you know, he's a red-blooded space moon. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. Soapbox, 
has been beamed away. Oh, all right. And we're back to the regular show. <laughs> so how does this resolve itself? The Pach is returned to, is cloaked. It's going to destroy the Enterprise. Yes. There's nothing Riker can do, mm-hmm. or is there? Well, he um, remembers the little um, device that uh, Worf gave him. Right. With the Chekhov gun of this episode, if you right, will. Right, exactly. Um, and he, you know, takes it that out. That was the original Star Trek, though. Yeah. But he, he, he takes it out, and he's um, looking at, at it, and the captain's like, what do you have there? Ah, give me that. And then, so then um, the next, the Enterprise, like, <laughs> Hope you've enough for everyone. Yeah, the Enterprise, like, bring, beams him up, and then since he's gone off the puck, right. Riker is in charge, and he's the captain, and... Which Riker couldn't have planned. You have to imagine that, it's like... It's pretty amazing. The second that, that, that the captain is, like... Give me that thing. Uh, Riker's like, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to have to kill this guy. Uh-huh. And it must have been a relief when the guy beams away. And he's like, oh, no, that's, that's way better. Oh, my gosh. Thank <laughs> it's God. my ship now. Yeah. And then he, uh, <laughs> my favorite part of the episode, uh, they contact the Enterprise. And he's like, you're going to surrender. <laughs> Picard's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, Shield, the shields down. We surrender. <laughs> and everybody's like trying not to laugh. And it all works out. Yeah. Yeah. And Montauk, or whatever his name is, goes back, and I hope, to the Benzite fleet with... Uh, it's just a couple hours. Just a couple hours transfer. Right. That's all. Uh-huh. You just do it for a few it's hours. It's not even a whole day. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some crackpot theories and some ideas all in right. a segment that I like to call... There are four lights! What? Your pet theories, your headcanon, anything from Fanon that you think is... What's really going on? You don't like what you see. You don't. You don't know how to explain it. But you try. Tritanium wouldn't melt at that temperature. <laughs> Things like that. Here, here's my my theory as to why Riker thinks that. Uh, Things are stools to lean on, like like you know. <laughs> like he uh, thinks computers are furniture. Yes, like, please, um, please. I I think he. It's like him, you know, putting his mark. By the way, like saying I own this, <laughs> like you know, like a dog would urinate to mark its territory. Okay, he's all right. like putting his leg up on it, like this is my computer. Okay, uh, I own this ship. Yes, sure. sure. If a stream of, of space urine could yes. come out from his uh, trousers without soiling them, he mm-hmm. would definitely be... Okay, uh, you know what? I think that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a very dominant sort of thing. It is. It is a very red-blooded American spaceman kind of thing. Yes, and he does it all the time. My crackpot theory is that it is... He has... Okay, as we said, he enjoys the ladies. Yes. He has some kind of uh, infection downstairs. <laughs> And is, he's too embarrassed to go to Dr. Crusher, uh, Dr. Pulaski, yes. uh, this year about it. And But it's an anaerobic bacteria. So he thinks by airing it out, um, oh. he's going to keep it under control. So any chance he gets, he's going to Captain Morgan this thing oh my God. just to keep his sanity. Cause oh, my gosh. It itches. Itches. Oh, my God. That's terrible. You don't find there's a lot of um, hyposprays. There aren't a lot of like salves and unguents. In the future. No. Dr. Crush is never just going like, just uh, just put that on it. You'll be fine. Oh, yes. I'll see you now. Go yeah. Out, go out the back. Go out the back. No. We're doing anything like that. No, we're not. <laughs> it's just like lasers and like, I'm censoring you and you're, oh, you should be fine now. Right. And all the health care is free. I mean, this is definitely an alternate universe uh, where yeah. President Sanders was elected after the eugenics wars ravaged 
North exactly, America. because you know we don't need money anymore. Space Canada. So let's talk about uh, <laughs> the themes, the pet themes that the franchise loves to beat into the ground in a segment I like to call Captain's Flog. Ooh. What would you say is being beaten into the ground in this episode? Now, let me get this straight before we continue. Yes. I, I love the fact that this is you know, issue-based uh, drama. Yes. Um, that's, that's the core of it. When you take that out and it's just... Thor crashing spaceships into each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work anymore. No. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it's always had that over Star, the other Star franchise. Yes. Has themes about stuff too, but not as, as focused and not as diverse. Uh, diversity is one of those things that gets beaten to death. And so I'm not complaining no, about true. it. I am lovingly chiding the concept of them beating some things into the ground, like Frank Gorshin. You know, in the let that be your last battlefield, he's racist because he's black on one side of his face, white on the other. And right. they're white on one side, black on the other. So clearly they have to fight. Clearly. what What's being flogged in this? I, I feel like uh, Starfleet rules are being flogged in this and procedures. I mean, like... Um, what's his name? Menendon? Yeah, right. Um, he... I mean, okay, he messed up big time, and I would have been pissed at him too. But, like, man, they never let him forget it until he kind of makes it up in the end, <laughs> you know. But he's, like, he's like backpedaling, like, really hard, you know. It and isn't, it's just an officer yeah. exchange program. It isn't a spring break trip, though. People forget that it is the military. That's true. That is true. But the military. I, if we're trusting, if he's only going to be there for a couple of hours, why are you trusting him with something so important as analyzing the ship? Yeah. Only the military would issue you a shirt that you have to pull down six times an episode. Oh my gosh. And like Picard tries to do it in a way that it, this is, this is a character thing. I'm just going like, hmm. Acting. Yes. I would say that it's clear that it's the multiculturalism that is being um, repeatedly hammered in this. Mm-hmm. The idea that you're, I'm different, you're different, but that's okay. I mean, you know, my way is better. It's a little better because you're dumb and I trick you and you lose. We are not strong. It's like that it's Samaritan sma- uh, Snare episode. Yes. It's kind of like that episode. Yeah. Another character ends up on another a thing's ship. They are going to attack them. The character pretends to help them and give them an advantage and yep. tricks them. And they go, well, I guess you got the upper hand. Chewing gum forehead, guys. Yeah. See you around. Why is he laughing? I made a funny joke before. Like, it's <laughs> it's multicultural, but, you know, we're we're better. We're better. Yeah, it, it is kind of a backhanded um, and it's way early, of looking yeah, at it. And it's early, too. The, the most, um, I'm trying to remember exactly how much Klingons we've seen, but it's mainly just Worf. Yes. Um, Matter of Honor, the mm-hmm. episode in the first season. Ah! With it, with a, <laughs> we've only really seen Klingons be warlike. Specifically, these Klingons were cryogenically frozen when we were at war. Yes. Like before Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. Like we were still at war. And now we're seeing like, no, it's okay. You know, they, they're not super happy. They're still Klingons, but we can we can get along. Yeah. Star Trek, we can get along. Yeah, exactly. What's their... That's the byline. <laughs> Star Trek. We can we get can along. Get along. <laughs> Klingons join Starfleet at some point. Do you think they would want to? Well, I don't know how much you've seen. I know that you've seen a lot of TNG and probably mm-hmm. not a lot of other series. Do you want spoilers? I don't know. Do I? Do the, does the audience? The uh, audience uh, is just going to have to deal with it. Um, they know this stuff. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, at least not, I, you know, I didn't play the season two and three of the online, <laughs> Star Trek Online. Okay. Um, which continues the story of the shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like official canon. 
But no, they kind of go out on their own. And right. at one point, they actually declare war on the Federation again. Um, of I they believe do. it's in DS9 because of some skullduggery that's happening. So that General Martok, you can't trust him as far as you can throw him. <laughs> uh, speaking of Klingons, take my wharf, please. Oh. Let's talk about your favorite Joker comedy bit from the episode. Oh, boy. Well, I think I've already talked about it a little bit, but it's um, the scene while they're in the cafeteria and um, they're joking. And the the one lady was like, oh, you can like, I can breastfeed you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, okay. And like Riker's kind of like, he's kind of like, ha ha. But at the same time, you think. That might I might be okay with that. You know, there's a couple of layers in there with Riker's uh, yeah. response. And I don't. My, my favorite part is also that, but specifically, like you wonder if this had continued and Riker was just if this was Farscape and they committed to their weird choices, story yes. choices, and he was just on a Klingon ship for the rest of the season. Yeah, right. If he would maybe not want to come back after a while once he got over the not bathing, yeah, and stuff because he seems to fit in pretty well in the Federation, but he he fits in pretty well over there. Yeah, he does. And I think that's part of his thing. It's funny that they always want to stick him on the Titan or make him a big like captain, and whenever we see him in like future alternate universes, he's like. Get the, get a prize up there with his guns and shoot him. Right. But he's pretty diplomatic. Yeah. Like, he can fit in pretty well mm-hmm. uh, with people, especially if they have women. And I like the thing where they're like, oh, they're wondering if you would stand up, you know, if you'd, if you'd uh, endure. And like, endure what? Endure them. He's like, one or both of them. Yeah. And they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, there are those guys. Yeah. He's all right. <laughs> Spring break. Wow. <laughs> no. Klingon spring break. <laughs> Guy's got a hat with a blood wine chalice on either side, you know, the straws going yes. in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> got the diktok in his mouth. Oh, that's what the Klingon dinger's called. Oh, there See, you, you go. have to remember organically. That's there how it go. works. Well, we're at the end here, normally where you do your parting shots, but in this case, I guess it would be aft torpedoes. So in our segment, aft torpedoes. What? Look. <laughs> these names are written in pencil. Okay. Do you have any closing thoughts about the episode? Um,. I I like the episode because I feel like uh, Riker and the rest of uh, the Enterprise crew learns a little something and they take that knowledge and are going to use that uh, moving forward as well. But I do feel like Riker is kind of like, oh, man, I'm glad I'm out of there. Yeah, so, you were so excited to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. And, and it's you like, totally succeeded. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I like about Riker is that he's very, he acts very superior, but you never see him. I mean, he's noble. All the characters are noble. Something that I think some people could complain about. Something I think they tried to fix in later shows, but never really worked right. Because just, these are heroic characters. You don't right. want to see one of King Arthur's knights be, be gambling. You know, and whoring on the side, like they're King Arthur's knights. Uh, And so he comes back and he's accomplished something amazing. And it was only a couple hours, but he survived on a Klingon ship. He made the Enterprise surrender. He almost had a Klingon three-way, Klingon spring break. Yeah. And he comes back and he's like, I'm glad to be out of there. Good to be home, sir. Yeah. He's not like, just just see that? Check that out. (laughs) Maybe if the episode had gone on for five minutes, he'd be in 10 forward, you know, surrounded by people and he's telling the story. Well, there you go. Yeah, about the 12 foot tall Klingon captain. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But who knows? (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, those are uh, my thoughts as well. I also think that this is just one of those fun. The show is definitely finding itself still. Right. uh, A lot of retooling, you know, before the second season and within the second season. But this is one of those things that you can just pull out. doesn't matter if he's got a beard or not or a collar or 
whether Yar's alive or dead or Wesley's right. on board still, it just works as a TNG episode. It's it totally fun. does. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen a original, because I'm an original series head. I'm going to come up with a better name by uh, next episode when we All talk right. about T- uh, TOS. Um, but I'm a tossed salad. Okay. We're going to top that. We'll top that at some point. Okay. But I would have loved to have seen an original series version of this. Okay. And then, you know, send us letters, I guess, if there is one. I'm, they get disguised as Klingons, or sorry, as Romulans. Okay. In the Boromite Maneuver, I think. Okay. Or no, the Enterprise Incident. Uh, anyway, so they're disguised as Klingons for a while, but I would have loved to see, like, um, not Spock. It'd have to be Kirk, I guess. He's the star of the show. Uh-huh. Uh, or maybe even Sulu. Sure. Oh, my. Uh, go over to um, to a Klingon ship and uh, have to do the same thing. That'd be uh-huh. kind of cool. Yeah, it so, would. Yeah, anyway. Uh, my space dad can beat up your space dad. Let's talk about who your favorite captain is and why. Uh, Picard, definitely. Because he, um, I just, you just respect the heck out of him. Um, just everything that he, he does, uh, he has a good reason for it, I feel like. And he... Um, Gosh, I just, I don't know. I Even down to, like, what he drinks. Like, Earl Grey, hot. He, he's you know, sometimes he's, a man of ritual. He is. And, and and he's he's classy. He's uncomplicated, unless he's super complicated. Yes. He's, he's austere, unless he's playing the flute. <laughs> but he just seems like such a cool guy that you would just, anybody would be happy to meet and would, you know, look up to and respect, you know? Right, yeah. And and willingly follow. I mean, he's just he's a great leader. Yeah, I always like how he he's you know a man of letters, and he seems like he's retiring. And doesn't seek the spotlight. Mm-hmm. He'd probably be like, because they're always doing plays on the show. I know. I, I don't know on the ship, uh, but they'd be like, um, you could play our Macbeth. And he's like, no, no, I don't think that I could do that. <laughs> like, well, Captain, I'll take care of the bridge. You can do that. He's like, is this a dagger I see before me? Uh, yes, ready to go at any second. <laughs> You can take the uh, captain out of the RSC, but you can't take the RSC out of the captain. So, make on Hana, by completing this assignment, yes. this duty assignment, you will receive a commission and the rank of ensign in oh. this man and woman's and alien Starfleet. What department on the ship would you like to work in? I would like to work on the turbo lifts. Do tell. Um, I would uh, fix the turbo lifts mm-hmm. and, you know, be like a turbo lift mechanic, you never if see, you will. <laughs> you never see them working on turbo lifts. That's a good one. Yeah. Because they always get you exactly where you need to go. Yep. And, unless that's part of the story that they didn't get there on time. Or that they hate to stop. Or that you're trapped in one. Yeah. Or you, the doors open and it's, oh, I'm in space. <laughs> Damn you, crazy guys. <laughs> well, there must be a lot of people in that department, and they must be very good. And I think you'll fit right in there. Oh, boy, thank you. Although I will say, you bet, is there a special class you take to tune the, the drama sensor on the turbo lift? Because they always stop right when people's conversations are over. How do they know how to do that? Uh, I'm I'm not at liberty to say. Oh, I understand. I If I told you, I'd have to phase you. Phase <laughs> me. Well, I don't want to get phased. No. Maybe the, I, I think Douglas Adams' uh, wrong show uh, wrote a thing about how like elevators have a – the elevators in this particular building have like uh, time sensors. They can see slightly into the future. Uh-huh. So that way they know exactly when to be there. So whenever you push the button, you don't have to wait. They're always there. That's but awesome. But then that gets exploited in some way because since the time elevator can see into the future, like a character uses it to something, something. Uh-huh. So maybe they have that. Maybe they know how long – 
or it doesn't even have to be goofy. They could just scan your brain patterns. They know what you want to say. They know what the other character wants to say. They know possible conversation trees, and they take like the probability of what will be the most likely conversation you have, uh-huh. and then it alters its speed. So sometimes you get to the bathroom. There's no bathrooms in the ship. I'm just kidding. <laughs> to tend forward real fast, right? Because it's like, how are you? I'm fine. Shh, we're here. Give me some ramen and ale. Other times you're you're fighting with your you know your girlfriend uh-huh. and she's gonna move out and it takes forever to get to engineering. <laughs> didn't they, they did a bit on that in uh, Star Trek Two though, didn't they? Because okay. because uh, Picard, <laughs> whoops, Whoop. because Kirk and Savick are talking about just stuff. Uh-huh. You know, we learn by doing. I'm Chekhov's moral is gonna bite me in the ass at the end of this. Sure, and then. They're talking for a while, and then the door finally opens, and Bones is like, who's been holding up the damn elevator? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the other the tag on the joke is, she leaves, and he gets in the thing, and they barely say anything. And he's like, wonderful stuff, that Romulan ale. And Kirk's like, yep. <laughs> That's all they say. <laughs> so they got to engineering right away. Yeah. Once again, I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek well, and the Star Trek me. universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and I hope they do, at at EIST pod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page. Where can people find you online? I am at Mikan Hana on Twitter, as well as at Just Enough Trope on Twitter and iTunes Just Enough Trope. And spell Mikan Hana for the people who don't know. Mikan Hana is spelled M-I-K-A-N-H-A-N-A. Be sure to send her all your complaints about what we missed in this episode. So thanks again. <laughs> And we are signing off until the next mission, hailing frequencies closed. It's on your mind.